0: This is the EAE Podcast, and you're joining us for episode number 42 in our series. I'm your host, Laura Rumbly, and on behalf of the EAE, thank you for tuning in. It's May 2022, and the European higher education sector is looking toward the start of a new academic year in about four months' time. This year, we've seen the lifting of all manner of travel restrictions and other pandemic-era limitations that have had such a profound effect on our field, including international student mobility dynamics. So, of course, one of the key questions on the minds of many international educators right now is, how many international students will be enrolled at my institution next year? There's no way we can know exactly what the international student pipeline will yield this year, but the EAE, the CLASS Foundation, and study portals have been crunching some numbers in recent weeks to try to gain some insight into developments in this area. To help us understand this work a bit more deeply, we asked Arunima Day, who serves as the program curator for the CLASS Foundation, and Carmen Nagina, the deputy director for the analytics and consulting team at Study Portals to join us for a chat on international student admission and application trends in 2022. It's wonderful to have you both to chat with me today. Thanks for making the time. We are all interested in the road ahead for international student enrollment in Europe. And what I think is great about our conversation today is that we can bring together several distinct, but I think quite interconnected perspectives or pieces of data that may be able to tell us something useful about what we might expect for the coming academic year. Um, Carmen, Study Portals has its finger on the pulse of student interest and uh, students possible application and enrollment behaviors. I wonder what some of the data you have on hand tells you about the the overall student appetite for international study in 2022 or any interesting trends or variables you might be seeing.
1: Well, I mean, it's becoming to be a very interesting year, of course, because every year we've been monitoring what's happening in terms of student interest. Um, COVID has been especially challenging in terms of are students still interested in studying abroad? Is there demand for online education? Um, but in 2022, uh, what we're noticing is that there's a lot of appetite for international education. There are more students than ever that never want to study abroad each year. But what we're also noticing is that the number of institutions trying to recruit those international students is also going up each and every year. So, students are a bit in a luxurious position where they have a really broad range of options, of study options, maybe more than ever before. So, they can be a lot more selective in the choices that they make.
0: Fantastic. Very interesting. Now, Arunima, you at the CLASS Foundation um, have just completed a survey that gathered perspectives from accommodation providers for university students about the coming academic year. I was wondering if you could, first and foremost, uh, for those who haven't had a chance to review that information, talk a little bit about what the survey exercise consisted of, who responded to that, you know, what what were some of the questions you were trying to get at? And then maybe we can talk a little bit about some of the findings that I have, um, are jumping out at you at this early stage.
2: Yes, sure. Um, So the survey was conducted with some of our partner operators as well as other operators from from across Europe. Um, Our main, uh, so we covered around 55,000 beds. And uh, our um, our main respondents came from Spain, Italy, UK, uh, Germany, um, as well as uh, Netherlands. Uh, we also covered what we call CEE, so Central Eastern Europe. And but we do not have specific uh, countries for that, so we just sort of club it into CEE. Uh, what we the purpose of this survey was basically to find out if they were inter- if they were seeing higher booking rates than last year. Uh, at the same time, you we were looking at how they have sort of, are they raising the prices, for example, to, you know, to sort of see the supply versus demand. Then um, there were other questions based on, just to sort of gorge into the future of the sector. So are, uh, in which of these countries are sort of, uh, are seeing, you know, more bets coming into the pipeline. So within the one, one to three years, how much are they expanding? Um, also we, we asked them, what is what is the kind of relationship they have with the local universities? So, it, do the local universities communicate with them that they are expecting these many students, or especially these many international students, because they're sure to need accommodation? And if that if that commu- communication is improved, um, then we also had a really interesting question about what do they think are the are the are the main factors that that the, that the students want like that sort of dictates their choice of residencies? So. That pretty much uh, was the survey. And uh, we do have some interesting findings. Uh, for example, it was, it, was not, it was not strange to see that uh, the, the prices have systematically gone up or they have either stabilized. They have gone up in countries which have an emerging PBSA market. PBSA is purpose-based student accommodation. Uh, but, uh, but for more mature markets, they have sort of stabilized. Uh, so in the Netherlands and in the UK, the prices are the same. Uh, in all places, there's uh, every country is seeing uh, an increase in bookings, and, and this is largely because you can correlate it with with your survey, uh, Laura, that there had been uh, that there are more international students coming in this year, and this has largely to do with many people who are now going back to studies. who have now easier visas, like there're less visa restrictions to travel, and so on.
0: Great, that's really helpful. I think to get a bit of a taste of what that um, the data are telling you. The, the world of PBSAs, purpose-built student accommodations. Um, can you talk a little bit about the extent to which that field itself is internationalized? Are, are most PBSAs domestic operators that only operate in their own uh, national environment or, or is there kind of a, a trend whereby PBSAs are doing more as international organizations themselves? And how, how do PBSAs relate to one another internationally?
2: Um, yes, so there are uh, PBSAs which are only operational in a specific country, and then there are more which are larger scale. They're not just in Europe, but they're also in the US, they're also in Australia. Uh, and uh, for instance, uh, social housing would essentially be like if there's a social housing, that would essentially be in just that one particular country. But if, if these are private owned, then they are in separate places, for example. Um, In fact, most of the operators we work with have have multiple locations in multiple European countries Uh, in terms of how they relate to each other. So that's that's a little bit difficult to answer because um, some of them are quite small, while some of them are really big and uh, they all have their um, sometimes there are PBSA organizations where the investor side is a different company and the operator side is a different company. So we have all these little nuances there as well. Um, they also operate with different names uh, in different countries. Uh, so, so all of that. Um, it it, and I think that's largely to do with this the way they're uh, branded in a specific country. So they might be want to be a certain brand in a certain country, which sort of focuses on, let's say, this is this is a complete an, an example. So if they're in Italy, they might want to be, they might be a brand which is more focused on hospitality and so on and so forth. Uh, while something which is uh, as opposed to if they're also in the Netherlands, this may not be a key factor or so on, but they might be focused more on um, giving these self-contained apartments because in the Netherlands, for example, you have rent subsidies for uh properly contained uh, units for students, and uh, the operators can also have a higher rent for that. So it seems like a win-win situation, but I can go into why it's not, especially in the case of Netherlands, but I will stop here.
0: No, but that's very nice. I think for those who might not be as um, informed about this sector, it gives a sense of this very uh, varied landscape, it sounds like, of different kinds of operators and different ways of doing this work of providing accommodation to international students, but also domestic students, I, I understand. So, in your comments, Arunima, you uh, alluded to our survey, the EAE survey, and indeed, you, know, you both know that we undertook a quick snapshot survey in March of this year to try and get a sense of how higher education institutions, specifically in the European higher education area, were perceiving application numbers and potential enrollment for the coming academic year. And in that work, we were able to gather data from 218 institutions in 33 countries. Um, which is not exhaustive, but I think it gives a rather interesting picture of some possible um, developments that we might be seeing. Carmen, I wonder if there's anything about the data the EAE was able to generate that caught your attention, especially because you sit on so much data from the student side of the experience.
1: Indeed, and I think that's the beauty of um, this research project between the three organizations, because we've been able to kind of triangulate data, because we know that there's always subjectivity in what you're looking at. And for instance, what I found really interesting was at some point we know that we asked you asked institutions, so do you think that the trends that you're observing are similar to other institutions in your country? And about 50% of them said yes. A lot of them weren't sure, which does mean that oftentimes when institutions think about performance or numbers this year, they mostly take into account what happened at their own institution last year, but it's sometimes very difficult to get even national data and let alone global perspective data. And I think that's a bit of challenge of study choice because students choose increasingly across destinations. And I think that especially at the master's level, we know that students are a lot more particularly selective, they are not as bound to one destination. I think one thing that did stand out, and I really wanted to dive a bit deeper into that, is that when you asked uh, Finnish institutions about uh, their application data, they were really optimistic. I think they were noticing about a 76% increase in applications, uh, which was really positive. Um, I think it also came about around the same time that Finland was changing is visa policy to make it a bit more appealing for international students to stay longer so it was a very good kind of moment to ask them about it but at the same time i think since then australia has you know signed a trade agreement with india to try to recruit more indian students canada has made its visa policy a lot more appealing and the uk started talking about having a very selective visa application process for the top quality students so I think when you look at the global perspective, what we're noticing in the data is that we're only seeing about 16% increase of interest towards Finland. Which You know, it's a really big gap between the 75% and the 16%. It was a bit, yeah, we didn't have the numbers on the enrollment side for Finland, so a really good follow up I think would be, so what will we see actually in enrollments in September. Um, and I think another good question to ask is also where do we expect this growth to come, because Um, whenever I was looking at the data for some of the numbers, I did notice really big differences between is this interest coming for a full degree? Is it for a short course? Is it for an undergraduate degree, postgraduate degree? So uh, for instance, when looking at Spain, which was expecting a large growth, um, we didn't see that kind of growth for master's degrees, but we did see it for undergraduate degrees, so for bachelor's courses. So it can be that Spain is just becoming more of an undergraduate destination. And I think the challenge also going back to growth and the accommodation side is that it's not pretty spread across all cities within that country so if we see a country growing by 20 percent oftentimes it might be the capital city taking most of that growth impact Um, and you know we always have this anecdotal oh yes of course the capital cities get most of the student interest but when we start looking at the numbers i mean for some destinations it's actually really incredible if we look at Um, France, one in four students only looks at destination Paris, that's a really significant number, if it's Ireland, 50% of them look at just at Dublin, they don't think about other cities within the country, and I think Helsinki, Vienna were very comparable as well, so that was really interesting, so I think the pressure on the enrollment and the accommodation side is primarily still going to be on the capital cities, which is something that I think governments are really going to struggle a bit with because those are also the popular cities also for everybody else to be working and living in. So there's always a continuous debate as to do we prioritize students or do we prioritize uh, everybody else?
0: Those are really interesting reflections, Carmen, and really um, help us realize that this exercise that we did within the EAU was a, a rather rough cut, you know, give us the big high level Um, uh, reflections that you have on what's happening within applications and enrollments. But the the devil is in the details, isn't it, about where the findings of these institutions in these countries sit within a global context. And as you say, even within a country, the variations there, I think that's fascinating. The capital city versus rest of the country discussion, I also think is quite interesting. I know in the Netherlands, there was a very overt uh, effort in the last couple of years at the level of tourism to try to get people out of Amsterdam, you know, into seeing other parts of the country to share that that load of receiving people, but also to remind people that there's a lot more to a given country than its its capital city. So um, I think there's there's so much more that we can do there. Always super fascinating. I think another extremely uh, interesting part of the story about international student experiences today has to do with major current events that have an impact on those. Um, And in the EAE survey that we did on admissions and enrollment, we asked a couple of questions that were inspired by the war in Ukraine. Um, One about anticipated enrollment of Ukrainian students and others who may have been displaced by the events in Ukraine. And another about how institutions were going to handle recruitment and admission of Russian students, if they were willing to provide us with any kinds of, of information on that. Arunima, I wonder if the situation in Ukraine surfaced at all in the responses that you received from the, uh, your class foundation survey.
2: Um, the survey, no, we, we couldn't make, we cannot make any conclusions from that. Um, it would be largely speculative, which is something I wouldn't want to do. Uh, we did, however, um, I don't know if it's okay to, to mention this, but this is not about the survey. But uh, during our forum in Vienna, we it was focused on student mobility, and we uh, we were we, really, we were talking about the impact of the Ukraine war uh, with inbound and outbound student mobility, both from Russia and Ukraine and interestingly the largest group of students uh, from um to ukraine are actually indian students and a large majority of them study uh, medicine there because it is extremely expensive to study medicine in india if you do not enter uh if you're not able to get into a public or a government university um and the the competition is insane it's like you have like for one seat, it's about twenty thousand people competing for it. it's just it's, the numbers are crazy. It, it might be even higher now. Um, so, and if you want to go to a private, privates cost too much, I and mean, many people cannot afford it. So, it's much cheaper to go to Ukraine. Now, what happened with the war was that they were just displaced, and uh, many of them um, were able to enter Poland or Hungary and so on, and then they went back to India because they legally did not have the right to remain in the EU because Indians cannot stay in the EU without a visa at all. So um, now it becomes a very tricky situation for them because uh, it would be really hard for them to find an alternative uh, way to continue that education. Um, now, with uh, the outbound mobility from Ukraine, most Ukrainian students tend to go to Poland, to Germany, and so on. And uh, we see that with the displacement, it would be much more likely to see more uh, Ukrainian students in their neighboring countries. Um, with with Russia. Um, Again, the most number of incoming students were actually from Ukraine. So that's very likely to stop. And uh, then they have, uh, then the other the other cohort of students are interestingly, the central Eastern countries. So it would be the, the Kazakhstan, um, uh, Azerbaijan and Kazakhstan and so on. Um, I'm really not an expert in geopolitics. I cannot comment on how much would that, would they be impacted by the war? Would they stop going to Russia? Because, um, so this again sort of enters the whole, whole concept of you know who is with who and so on um, about uh, russian students coming to the coming to europe um this is just an i would say this is largely an opinion of the class i would I, I would dare say that they should not they should not be restricted to pursue their education in europe based on their nationality like that is that is not how things should pan out um, there were a lot of there was also conversations about uh, international students who were stuck in Russia and all all the sanctions that fallen into place, and they were unable to leave Russia, and they didn't have the money; they didn't they could they couldn't leave the country. So that part also doesn't get spoken enough about. Um, so yes, we are at a very um, interesting stage. So I I would say that we, I would uh, there would not be a restriction towards Russian students coming to, wanting to study abroad, but we don't know if there if the government sort of wants to restrict or you know, uh, mobilities and so on. So, yeah.
0: So just picking up on this question of students in need through the, the network of, of organizations that you're connected to, are you hearing about, um, accommodation providers offering emergency support for, for example, for individuals who can't access their funds or for, a sudden upsurge in um, students requiring some special kinds of support within the accommodation environment. Yes,
2: absolutely. Uh, so uh, interestingly, again in that Nerviana forum, we had people from Germany, from Austria, and many of them were actually hosting um, refugees from Ukraine, and they were not necessarily students, which is open to everyone, but they also had Ukrainian students and Russian students in their campuses, in their accommodations and Uh, Many of them have gone out of the way to provide uh, mental health counseling services to them and other kinds of aids to be able to reach out to their family for those who are not able to and so on and so forth. So we haven't had a chance to sort of really delve deep into this, but we know that our operators who are near the Ukrainian border are helping the the, the ones who they can help by taking in refugees and also providing assistance to the students in their in their um, housing.
0: Great. And just to clarify, one last point, the Vienna Forum that you've mentioned a couple of times, that took place, was it in March of this year? It
2: took place this year uh, in um, in April, on, on the 6th of April in Vienna, yeah.
0: Okay, perfect. So now over to you, Carmen. In what ways is the Ukraine situation, the war, showing up on Steady Portal's
2: radar? Um,
1: well... I mean it is a bit complex uh, one of the things we are noticing is an increase of student interest for destinations that are taking a large number of refugees of course we're seeing you know domestic interest in Poland uh domestic means location based for us so um from students already in Poland looking to study in Poland so I think um the Ukrainian refugees are looking for local educational opportunities in the receiving countries which is a good sign I do think institutions will have a bit the challenge of on one side enrolling more students um, but also the administrative challenges of having to enroll refugees because maybe paperwork is missing uh, decreases sometimes difficult to equate it's very difficult sometimes to know okay so if uh, somebody has already started studying at what level do we place them within our own education system because it is quite a bit of a challenge and um, what we're also noticing is an increase from some kind of mate na- well neighboring country let's say where we know that um military service can be waived for students um because we know that generation z is a lot more pacifist than previous generations we also know that families want to keep their youngsters safe so of course um if you have to choose between being able to study and or maybe risk being drafted for military service, of course, you're gonna choose to go study in quite a few countries. So I think that is an interesting one as well. But it might be good to also mention, so um, we're not seeing necessarily, um, I was trying to now see the data for uh, Russia in particular as an origin country, Mm -hmm. Um, but we are not necessarily seeing that increase of wanting to go study abroad. And that is also because, you do have to keep in mind that it is probably a lot more difficult to travel at the moment and leave the country. But also from a financial perspective, uh, the currency has devaluated quite a lot. So being just financially able to do so is a lot more challenging. And that's maybe something that we should also keep in mind when thinking about Russian students, because I have seen a lot of institutions making, uh, having discounts or even waiving tuition fees for uh, Ukrainian students. But I don't think it's really been the same for Russian students, although, and well, there's a lot of ethical questions there on whether we should, but on the other side, I think education is still the most powerful weapon to change the world. So therefore, a more um, open-minded student who studied abroad is a lot more likely to go back home and want to um, have a more collaborative role in society and want to I'm guessing prefer collaboration over uh, conflict.
0: Indeed, in the qualitative responses that we received from those who filled out our questions about Ukraine and Russian students, there was a lot of that same kind of message that you have shared there, Carmen, the idea that um, education is a very special um, domain and um, enabling people to access that is, is really kind of a sacred trust for a lot of institutions
1: so we have um covered a bit of ground yeah go ahead carmen and um, that was just one last thing i wanted to mention uh, because of course we talked about the war in europe um but i think there are still a few kind of global dynamics that maybe we shouldn't ignore as well and um let's say what we notice in our data is that for instance there's a really huge demand of wanting to go study abroad for students from sri lanka um where there's a lot of political and economical unrest at the moment where students are protesting on the streets because um they don't agree with the current decisions of the government so i think whenever we see this kind of political unrest and of course ukraine is europe and that's why it's gotten a lot more attention but there's also a lot of countries outside of europe that are in need at the moment let's say for maybe a more um helping hand in terms of helping them go study abroad so that they can um well, at least have a better future than the one they can currently have in the country.
0: So we have a, a lot of data at our fingertips, but we also have a lot of remaining questions and I think possibilities for digging deeper over time. And I just wanted to thank both of you for taking the, some time to chat today to um, explore some of the, the work that you've been doing and to hopefully um, see more of the, uh, a shared approach to understanding the situation through the numbers in a way. So thank you, Arunima. Thank you, Carmen, so much.
1: And thank you so much. It's been uh, really, really interesting working on a project from so many different multiple perspectives and trying to bring it all together. So thank you for that.
2: Thank you very much for having me. It was uh, very interesting to hear, uh, especially Carmen, all the data you pulled in. That was so Mm -hmm. interesting. And I'm really looking forward to all three of us working together in the longer uh, analysis article on this as well. Thank you so much.
0: That was Arunima Day, Program Curator at the CLASS Foundation and Carmen Nagina, Deputy Director for the Analytics and Consulting Team at Study Portals. Our session notes contain a couple of links to the reports that were referenced in our conversation in case you'd like to explore the data and analysis a little more closely, including the EAE's own snapshot report on International Admissions 2022-2023. You can find this in the EAE Library on our website, www.eae.org in other news at this time of year we're also working very hard behind the scenes to bring you the 32nd annual EAE conference and exhibition in Barcelona in September registration for this can't miss event opens very soon on May 24th so please keep an eye on our website and social media for the program and other announcements ahead of the opening of registration and one more small item for your agenda The next EAE podcast episode will be available for your listening pleasure in just two weeks' time. Until then, all good wishes to you from the EAE.